We're in a series called The In Commandments, and uh, it's commandments that Jesus gave. You know, the, the thing about Jesus is that he came to the earth, he came to this planet, chose a couple of people, poured into their life for like three and a half years, and uh, taught them some things, used parables, you know, talked about birds and seeds and things of this nature, and, and then, then gave them some commandments that were really, really difficult to understand, and then he died. And in their minds, the followers of Jesus, when he died, it was like game over. I mean, it's like the end. I mean, the, the leader is gone. What are we going to do now? But then Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he actually punctuated all the outlandish claims that he had made. I mean, look, when a man comes on, he starts claiming that if you kill me, I'm going to rise again and things like this. Those are outlandish to most people. And, and so he punctuated all of these claims and then he gave his, his last command to these guys. There were 11 of them left. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go in all the world. I want you to teach people everything I taught you. And then he just left. I mean, he left them with hardly anything. They didn't have a Bible. I call these, these guys pre-Bible believers. I mean, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a conference to go to. They, you, you know what I'm talking about? They didn't have any videos to watch. No CDs, no eight tracks, no nothing. I mean, they had nothing, you know what I mean? And, and, but, but one thing they did have is they had revelation of the resurrection. Now, folks, never end up play the, res the resurrection because that is the hope of everything, that we will rise from the dead. That's powerful. I love to say that because most folks never go there. They never go past church, you know, a church service. But I like to go past that and say, one day when, when we're dead, uh, Jesus is going to shout and we're all going to rise from the dead. And people get all freaked out because they go straight to like science fiction, zombies and nasty old people coming out of the grave. But we're coming out of the grave glorified, man. I mean, it's going to be like, wow, pow. The resurrection. That's what they had. I mean, they saw Jesus crucified, and they saw him die. They saw them put him in a grave, and then not long after that, they had lunch with him. And that will convince you. When you see somebody die, and then a couple of days later, you're eating a tuna fish sandwich with them. I mean, it's like, come on now. Something great has happened here. And that's what happened with Jesus. And so their first century believers and they're given these commands. And Jesus gave several commands. I mean, he gave some commands. I mean, we're going to share with you, you know, in the weeks to come, thing like, 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 worry not. Okay, what next? Like, just don't worry. You see, we always want 10 steps on how to overcome worry. You know, or eight steps how to overcome fear. And all Jesus said was fear not. And we say, what's next? Well, how about worry not? And today we've got another not command, but I'm not going to tell you the not command right now. Because if I told you the not command right now, you might tell me, well, that, that's impossible. There's no way we're going to do that. So I'm not going to tell you the not command just yet. But I am going to tell you a story that a lot of you, if you've been in church for a while, if you've read your Bible for a while, you know the story. But I don't want you to just kind of run out ahead of what we're talking about and say, well, I got that, and then snooze for the rest of the service. I want you to get in the emotions of this story. And where it took place is so very, very important. Because it took place uh, right in the very center of Jewish belief. 
the very place where they would gather together. It took place, place on the Temple Mount. And I've got a picture that I want to show you of the Temple Mount. Uh, it's a modern-day picture of that mount. Uh, are we going to show that? Uh, would you put it on this center screen right here for me? Okay, guys? Thank you. The, the Temple Mount here. And you'll see right there three major uh, components of the Temple Mount. There's the, 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 the Dome of the Rock. There, there's the Dome of the Chain. And then there's a mosque there. And so these three modern-day uh, buildings really are coming from the Islamic faith. And they're right in the very center, right there. Now, there's the western wall you see at the bottom of the picture, and that's where the Jewish people pray now. They pray on the western wall. That's where most of the worship and all of the Jewish people takes place. The strange thing is, is that simultaneously there is Islamic prayer going on, Muslim prayer going on, and there's Jewish prayer going on right in the same place right now, but it wasn't always that way. In the day of Jesus, this was the epicenter of Jewish belief, of faith, of hope. This was it, and, and, and uh, this is where Jesus was, was uh, this story's going to take place. Now, to get there, you had to go up what they call the Southern Steps, and I've got a, a shot of that. The Southern Steps go up. It's a, a group of steps that go high up uh, into, uh, put it on the center screen for me, guys going straight up into there, and there's three gates there. And when they go straight up into those stairs, and it's, 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 it's long stairs, sort of like the stairs going up in the MGM Park uh, Friday night for the Shuckers game. If you walked up those steps, uh, and uh, of course the Shuckers were sacrificed. Uh, you know, they sacrificed lambs then. Here we, the Shuckers were sacrificed to the uh, Jacksonville Suns, but that's okay. We had like 400 people from Northwood there. It was a great night, I'm telling you. This was a whole great week. I mean, first Wednesday was like, yes. Wasn't it just amazingly wonderful? And so, so they, they walk up these steps carrying their lambs or their pigeons or their, their, their cornmeal. You know, they're bringing their cornbread up with them all the way up the steps. And then they enter through these three gates right now. They're, they're, they're stoned up now, but they were open then. And they would walk into uh, the court of the Gentiles, which was a, a large area that was opened. And uh, just anybody could go up in there. It was just a very, very busy area. A lot of things taking place there. But then you went through another gate into the court of women where all the women would gather in there. And then when you went into a third gate, you would go into the, the holy place where the temple was and where, where the altar was, where, where the sacrifices were taking place. I mean, it was a very, very smelly place, a very, very loud and busy, busy place up in there. And then, of course, it was the holy place where, where the commandments and other things were held there. And so Jesus... Uh, begins to teach right here on this temple mount in this court of the Gentiles. And we begin in the book of John chapter 8, where Jesus begins to teach. And the Bible says, early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. So it's very early in the morning, which was the pattern of Jesus. He walks up these steps. He gets into the court of the Gentiles. He finds a nice shady place because you saw there were trees there. And people begin to follow him. Everywhere Jesus went, people were following him. They wanted hope. They wanted to know what he had to say. And so he sits down and he begins to teach them. 
Now, can you imagine with me that it's early in the morning and you and your wife, you walk up these steps, you enter the gate, and over to the right or maybe to the left, there's a man there that everybody's talking about, and he's teaching, and you go and you sit down there, and you begin listening to this man that is filled with wisdom. And he is sharing things that you've never heard before. And he is teaching with such authority that you've never heard this before. And it's really astonishing. And that's what Jesus was doing. And right in the middle of this loud public place where Jesus, it's sort of like if you've ever been to university where they're holding outside classes. You know, there's a lot of activity going all around them, but that professor has that class at bay and he is teaching them. And that's what was going on with Jesus. In the next verse, it says very simply that the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman that was caught in adultery. Now, here are the scribes and Pharisees. It's just amazing. They always seem to have had uh, an entourage with them, a group of people. Just all, I mean, you can just see them in their religious garb, and, and here they come. They come up the steps, you know, because that's the way you got there. They're coming up the steps, they, and, and you know what? They've got this woman with them. They're dragging this woman. Here she is in the middle of them, and they just, you, they're hurried, they're nervous, they're coming up, they got all their religious garb on and all of their little entourage walking with them, and they come up the steps, they come into the gates, they look around, aha, they see where they want to go, and they come and they set her in the center of the court. Now picture that. This woman, all these men around her, and they just set her down. Some translators say they threw her down. They just put her down in the center of everybody. It would be just like if, some, if all of a sudden I'm teaching you today and, and religious people from the community came in with a woman and they came in and they threw a woman right here in the very center of what's going on. Can you imagine what you would do? You would do what everybody does. You would start rubbing neck and looking, wondering what's going on, talking, opinionated, what's happening, who is that, who is that, what's but you'd also be wondering, what is Pastor Van going to do about this? I think you wonder quite often what Pastor Van's going to do about certain things, don't you? But you know, and sometimes Pastor Van doesn't have a clue, you know. <laughs> but they, they bring the woman. They put her in the very center there, in this very, very public place. Because their motive, folks, was not to help this woman. Their motive was not even the demise of this woman. Their motive was to bring a situation in a very, very public place to where Jesus would have to make a decision and a stand. Their motive was to separate people from Jesus. That was the whole motive. Sad to say, that is the motives of a lot of religious stuff that's going on in our world now. It's, it's to separate people from Jesus. It's all right to talk about God, and it's okay to talk about God, but when you start talking about Jesus, the atmosphere changes. And that's what was happening here. They were using her as a pawn in this game of cat and mouse that they were playing with Jesus trying to catch him. And so they said, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. And then they, they had to amplify it in the very act. In other words, and this is why you ought to have your kids in the children's ministry. In other words, they caught her in bed with a man right there in the very act. 
I wonder, what were they doing there? I mean, let's think about it. What were you doing there? How did you know she was there? What did you do when you found her? When did you find her? And how long have you kept this woman? And where did you keep her? How long did you hold her hostage, kidnapped? I'm not sure who the abuser is here. She was a pawn in their hands. And they knew, boy, these guys knew. They knew Exodus 20, 14. They knew that the Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. They knew that. <laughs> oh, they knew it well because they knew the law. They said, you shall not commit adultery. See, she was guilty. There's no doubt about it. She was filled with shame. But you know what? I'm sure that this woman, more than likely being a Jewish woman, had climbed those steps herself many times as a young woman. As a young girl with her little sacrifice in her hands, maybe with mom and dad, making that long trek up those southern steps, through those gates, through the court of the Gentiles, through the court of the women, and then eventually having to offer a sacrifice for the guilt and the shame of the sin that she carried. But now, but now she is about to be sacrificed. It goes on and says that, they said, Jesus, now in the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say? Jesus, we know the law and you know the law and the law says we are to stone her. But what do you say? Do you see the motive these men had? In other words, we're going to expose you publicly. What do you say? Are you going to go against Moses? Because folks, Moses was like God to the people. And if Moses said it, that was it. So they're pitting Jesus against Moses. They're wanting him to side against Moses. That's their goal. Can we just get him to side against the law? What are we going to do for that? You know what they were saying? They were saying, now, Jesus, you want to be very, very careful about this. And the reason you want to be careful about this, Jesus, is because we have, just right over these few walls here in a special place, we have the original document the original document that tells us what we're supposed to do. So you need to be very, very careful, Jesus, what you're going to say. You need to really think about what you're getting to say. The thing about it is that Jesus could have said to them, hey, God squad, God squad, let me just, let me, let me just share something with you out of the, the law. What if we go to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and what if we read, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. He could have said that. He could have said a lot of things because that's exactly what Moses wrote. That's exactly what was in the original document. But what we had here were a group of sacred men 
with their sacred teachings, manipulating the sacred people. That's what was happening. It was pitiful. In John chapter 8, verse 6, they were saying this, and now it's all exposed. They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. That was their motive. Discredit Jesus. And so Jesus' action is, I don't know what you'd have done, but I would have probably said, wait a minute here, guys. Look, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something what Leviticus says. You don't know what you're talking about. That would have been maybe what I'd have done. I mean, it's a tense moment, plus everybody's watching. The whole church is watching. I got to say something powerful. I mean, I am the king of kings. I've, I am the son of God, and I've got to bring something that's, I just got to take their heads off. That's, Instead, you know what Jesus did? The Bible says Jesus, he just stooped down and he began to write in the sand with his finger. He was writing. Writing, writing, writing. He's writing in the sand. Just stoops down. You know, it's significant that he was writing in the sand with his finger because the finger of God, the Jewish people believed that the, the Ten Commandments were actually etched in stone by the finger of God. Jesus, even in the gospel, stated one time, he said, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, then you know the kingdom of God has come. So the finger meant something. I mean, it was really important. So he's just writing. He's just there, just going on. He's stooping down. He's writing. He's taking his time because Jesus is never in a hurry. Man, I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Oh, come on, Jesus, help me with my driving. Lord Jesus, help me with my, my patience. Come on, Jesus. Just take it easy, folks. So Jesus is here. But when they persisted in asking him, in other words, that word means that they just kept badgering him and asking him, oh, what do you say, Jesus? Give us an answer right now. We told you what Moses said. What are you going to say? You got all these people here. You're the big teacher. Come on, give us a word. What do you say? I mean, they're just kind of like badgering him over and over and over again. So he straightened up and he said this to them. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So something began to happen. Now stay with this, folks. What he was saying was, how many of you have walked these steps and walked through these gates with your lamb in your hand and walked to that altar and placed that lamb on that altar and had that priest kill that lamb and spill that innocent blood to pay for your sin and the guilt and the shame that it brought upon your life and your nation. How many times? This is what Jesus was... Did, have you learned yet that sometimes Jesus says something and a whole lot of other things come on, on, on the mind? That Jesus... That he can just say three words, but it turns into a volume in your life. And so he says, how many of you, 
How many of you have walked up here and had your sin and your shame and your guilt expelled by innocent blood and you walk down these steps renewed, encouraged, inspired that your sins had been covered by innocent blood? That's what he told him. See, really and truly, folks, it was this way. The only one who had no sin right there was the only one who had no stone. So important to understand this. The only one that could have been the one to bring the judgment, the only one that was without sin, that could have cast the stone, was the only one who had no stone. And so Jesus, you know what he did? He just stooped down again, and he began to write on the ground. He's just writing. Now, for centuries, folks, scholars, theologians, and real smart people have tried to figure out what was it that Jesus was writing in the sand. And so we, you know, they hadn't found out, but we, we as a staff, we did research. I mean, we really got our, our study caps on, you know. And we, we really, I think we came up with what he wrote, you know. And uh, go ahead and put that up, what he wrote. I think that might have been what he wrote. Takes one to know one, huh? I think that's my, <laughs> or maybe not, you know, but hey, that's good as anything, huh? I think it had the same result as that. But he, he just said, this is what's going on. And so watch this would begin to happen because you got to understand it is a very tense, tense situation. Some of you, if you'd have been in the crowd there, you probably just took off, ran, went home and said, it's just too tense for me. I just can't handle what's going on. But in the ninth verse, when they heard it, when they heard you who are without sin cast the first stone, when they heard their conscience begin to shout out, you're as bad, if not worse, when conviction began to grip their heart, when things began to happen that could not be seen with the eye, they began to go out. It means... Folks, that they begin to just leave. They begin to leave where they were. They begin to go out. They begin to go out one by one. It was a dismantling of this, this crew. And one by one, beginning with the oldest. Why the oldest? Why would the oldest leave first? Why would you put that in the Bible that the oldest left first? I believe they left first because the oldest realized the mountain of sin, their own sin that had been covered up by innocent blood in that place. Because listen, while this is going on, they hear sheep being slaughtered. They hear priests working, sacrificing animals. And I believe the older, the more mature, the ones who had walked those steps from a little boy and now an older man got the message and begin to leave. And then younger and younger until finally, I can just picture that, that last guy, that young whippersnapper, that young cocky guy, looked around and figured, 
I guess I better go too. I'm not so bold now that all the gang is gone. And so they all left the woman. Their self-righteousness was exposed. Their judgmentalism was exposed. And they had to leave. So in the 10th verse, what does Jesus do? He straightens up. And he said to the woman, he said this, he said, where are they? Did no one condemn you? I got a feeling Jesus might have been kind of smiling here because he knew what was going to happen. He said, well, I wonder where they are. Anybody around here? What's up with where they going? Where are they? They go. She said, no one, Lord. There's no, no one to condemn me. There's no one here. No, Lord, no, no one. And then Jesus makes a fantastic statement. He's holy. He's righteous. He's sinless. He's perfect. He's God. And he says to the woman, I do not condemn you either. I do not condemn you either. In other words, I'm not here to make you pay for your sins. And then he says, go from now on, sin no more. That's the not commandment for today. Sin not. He tells the woman, sin not. Sin not. Now folks, listen. There's not gonna be eight points of how not to sin. Jesus just said, sin not. And when he tells us to sin not, evidently, he releases the power for us to sin not. Sin not. Just don't sin anymore. Don't sin. But it comes with a little bit different tone, maybe, than what you're used to. It may come with a different tone than than what you learned or maybe what you learned in church or maybe what your parents taught you or maybe a different tone than the, than the group of people you were with or maybe your uncle or maybe that grandfather or maybe that pastor. Maybe it comes with a different tone when it comes from Jesus because what Jesus was doing, he urged her. He was urging her not to sin. I mean, sin is sin, folks. Sin is wrong and sin put Jesus on the cross but, but the tone, see, Jesus' tone is not about condemning. It's about urging. Well, I condemn everybody, man. It's pharisaical. And honestly, it stinks. It's pitiful. It's filled with self-righteousness. But yet, we know that our righteousness is only found in Christ. And so he urges. You know why he urges? Because Jesus knows that every sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. He knows that. He, he, you see, he understands. Every sin we commit comes prepackaged with a penalty. It does. Because sin kills. Sin will kill your conscience. And the things that you're doing, you thought you never would do because, because sin will kill your conscience. Sin will kill relationships. Sin will kill your mind. Sin will destroy marriages. Sin will kill your emotions. 
Sin kills. Sin can kill an entire culture. An entire nation can be obliterated by sin. Sin has power. And this is why Jesus is urging sin not. Because the consequences of sin is the reason Jesus urged her to leave her life of sin. And it's the reason why Jesus urges us to leave our life of sin. I mean, just to condemn you, there's no hope in condemnation. I mean, look, when the judgment is set, and one day the judgment will be set, and there'll be nothing anybody can do about it, and Jesus will say it's done, and it's finished. But what Jesus is saying for us, and this woman, and us, is that you don't have to be condemned for your sin, and you surely cannot pay for your sins. Because Jesus has already paid the price. So now, we know what the woman's sin was. She is thrown down in the midst of the court. You're an adulteress. She didn't even try to fight a battle there. She didn't stand up and say, wait a minute. Condemned guilty. The question today for us, though, in this room is not about some woman a long time ago in the court of the Gentiles on the, on the Temple Mount. The question today for you and for me is, what's your sin? What's your sin? I mean, I think Jesus wants to make it personal. What is your sin? And he's urging you to not sin because he knows the consequences. He understands it. And so we have but one choice. Well, maybe two. One right choice. And that is to stop it. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And then once we're free of that, we can run the race that's set before us. So we have to answer the question today, what's my sin? Now let's bow our heads together. Let's just close our eyes, okay? Can we just spend a few moments thinking about nothing else but Jesus looking right at us and saying, what's your sin? But not with a condemning word, but with almost a weeping tone. What's your sin? Because if you'll tell me your sin, I will remove it and all the guilt and shame that it brings with us. Now, I'm talking to everybody in this room, church people too. Right now, just put that thing before you. That thing that when you, when you say, what's my sin? That thing that always comes up, that's right in front of you. Just let that thing be real right there. Like an entity in your life that's killing you. That's really got its hands around your neck, choking the very life out of you. And now let's confess that to the Lord. 
And I know it says that we to confess our faults one to another, but this is not the place. This is not the time right now to do that. The time right now is for us to confess our sin to the Lord. So you're in this place. You're all alone in that chair, all by yourself. Go ahead and confess that sin to the Lord. Right there in your heart. He reads your heart. And then repent of it right there. Just simply say, Lord, forgive me. That is wrong. I agree with you that that is sin in my life. And I don't want it to kill me. I don't want death, Lord God. I want life. Especially you believers. You got to just do this. You got to stay clean. Father, I pray for your people, Lord God, the church, God, us, the believers, the people who have resurrection revelation, that God, you would cleanse us from these sins, God. We just keep committing these sins. God, in the name of Jesus, we repent, confess, forsake, walk away from, and stop. We obey your command, Lord. It says, sin not. And we thank you for the strength and the power. Now, while you're keeping your eyes closed, you might be in this room right now, you might be like that woman in adultery caught in, put in the middle of a bunch of people in a strange place with strange people. You might think this is a strange place, different maybe from where you've been lately. Maybe you've been forced to come today or maybe somebody invited you and said they'll buy you lunch if you, if you come. But you're here and, and you feel like you're being exposed. It's like you think everybody's looking at you and nobody's really looking at you, but the Lord is looking at you. And he sees your heart and he sees what sin has done to your life. I know sin was destroying my life, my relationships. My mind was corrupted. My conscience was seared. And as Jesus just stands before you right now, he just simply, really, just saying, come on, let's just get together right now. Let me forgive you. Let me, I'm not gonna condemn you. I want to forgive you. So if that's you, if you're in this room and your relationship with God is non-existence, it's just not, in his, it's just not there, but you want that. You want to surrender to the Lord. You want to give your heart completely to Jesus. And what God means by that, he simply means in three steps, you've got to forsake your sin. You repent of your sin. You know what else? You have to trust God. You have to trust God. You have to turn to God and number three, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Repent, turn to God, and put your faith in Jesus because he's the only one who can forgive you. So if that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And as I pray, I want you to just kind of pray along with me in your heart. God's, God's reading your mail right now. He's reading your heart. He loves you, and he wants to be reconciled together with you. So we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive my sins, Lord God. Cleanse me of all the wickedness and the shame and the, the killing power that sin has had over my life. And Lord God, give me life now. I repent of my sins. I call upon you, Lord Jesus. I believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. And I believe, Lord God, that you love me. I give you my whole life right now, Father. Everything I am, all the good and the bad, it's all yours, Lord God. I'm trusting you to make me a better person and to change my life. And I thank you for saving me today, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
and amen and amen. I want to thank the Lord for opening up the gate for people to come in. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.